0: The second reading is from Haggai chapter two, starting at verse 10. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priests what the law says. If someone carries consecrated meat in the fold of their garment, and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, olive oil or other food, does it become consecrated? The priest answered, no. Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priest replied, it becomes defiled. Then Haggai said, so it is with this people and this nation in my sight, declares the Lord. Whatever they do and whatever they offer there is defiled. Now give careful thought to this from this day on. Consider how things were before one stone was laid on another in the Lord's temple. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. I struck all the work of your hands with blight, mildew, and hail, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. From this day on, from this twenty-fourth day of the ninth month, give careful thought to the day when the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Give careful thought. Is there yet any seed left in the barn? Until now, the vine and the fig tree the pomegranate and the olive tree have not borne fruit. From this day on, I will bless you.
1: Good morning. My name's Rick and it's my pleasure to add my welcome to Peter's. It's great to see you here, um, whether you're here with us physically in the building or with us online. I'm glad that you could join us. And if we haven't met before, I'd love to meet you after the formal part of our service. And if you're watching online and we haven't met before, it'd um, be great if you could get in touch with us through the contact us button on the website there. But we are going to spend a bit of time now reflecting a bit more on that part of Haggai. So if you have Bibles with you, then I encourage you to have them open. I'll be referring to that on the way through. Let's, um, let's pray as we continue to hear God's word together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak to us. You are a God who is not silent. And we pray that your spirit will be among us this morning as we respond to the word that has been read to us. And as we reflect and meditate on it now, we ask that you will give us the ears of faith and the obedience that comes from faith. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. When I was a kid, we lived next door to a church. And I remember one day when I was maybe in my early teens, some, somewhere around there, a kid from down the street, Robert, his name was, who was kind of known to be, I guess, the community troublemaker, he came to our house and knocked on the door and said, I want some holy water. Now, from what I recall, my parents weren't around, me and my sister answered the door, and we didn't really know what to do with that. You want what? We said, I want some holy water. A friend of mine has, has got a problem and I need some holy water to, to fix them, to, to help them. And as I said, we, we didn't know what to do. And so we just got some water out of the tap and, and gave it to him. And I don't know what he did with it or where he got his idea about holy water. And that's what he needed, probably from movies, right? We see that in movies where holy water can, can do special things for you and fix problems for you. But it occurs to me that Robert from down the road had a similar idea about holiness to what the Israelites had in this bit of Haggai that we've just read. That is that holiness is somehow connected to receiving blessings from God. Holiness is how we can get good things from God. And so the Israelites, they wanted holiness so that they could get blessings from God. And in some senses, you know, they're right. And we do need holiness to receive blessings from God. But in both cases, both Robert down the road and the Israelites, they're mistaken about how to get that holiness. Now, I don't know if you think much about holiness, maybe you just think about it in regard to you know, the Dalai Lama and the Pope, They you know, apparently they're called your holiness. But today we're going to see that holiness matters, that we need it, that without it we can't please God or receive His blessing. <clears throat> So that's what we're going to be looking at today, that holiness matters. And again, just to remind us of where we are in history, each, each week we've been kind of getting a bit of a timeline of the Bible. It's 520 BC. In fact, the date in, in, in verse 10 tells us that it's the 18th of December on 520 BC. And things have been going pretty badly for the people of Israel. They'd been defeated by their enemies They'd been taken as prisoners to Babylon. The temple in Jerusalem had been destroyed. That was about 70 years earlier. But now they're back in Jerusalem and have been for the last 20 or so years and things are still not going great. And if you were here two weeks ago or if you were listening two weeks ago, you remember that God told them why things were not going great for them. It's because they didn't have their priorities right. They were busy chasing after their own things, building their own houses but they weren't building God's house. They weren't prioritising the things of the Lord. They weren't concerned about trying to re-establish themselves as God's holy people by building the temple among them. And so God rebuked them and they heard that rebuke. They started rebuilding the temple. And now again, in chapter 2, verse 10 to 19, Haggai speaks to that same situation. So, as I said, this word of the Lord comes to them again on the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius and it comes with a question. And it's a question about holiness and defilement. A question about holiness and defilement. What does the law say about it? Now, holiness, as you can kind of maybe perceive from its opposite defilement, has something to do with cleanness right? Defiled means dirty and holy means clean. But it also implies this idea of being set apart, being dedicated to God, consecrated to God, as you can see there in verse 12. And those two ideas of being clean and being dedicated or set apart for God go together. Because if something is going to be set apart for God, it needs to be clean enough, for that purpose. It needs to be clean enough to be in God's presence in whom there is no blemish, there is no uncleanness. It needs to be clean enough to be able to be used by God and blessed by God. It's kind of like the the special, you know, China dinner set that you have in the cupboard that only comes out on special occasions. It's been set apart only for special occasions. Does anyone have those? We don't because I I smash things, so we, we don't tend to have good things in our house. But we, I remember we used to have nice things like that. But imagine if you, if you had the special dinner set that only comes out on special occasions and that special occasion comes along, it's been set aside for this purpose and you bring it out and it's still covered in the dirty food scraps from the last time you used them. That's not okay, is it? It needs to be clean if it's going to be fit for purpose. And it was the same with the holiness of Israel. God made them his holy people. He set them apart. He dedicated them for himself. And he said, because you are holy, you need to live like it. You need to be holy. And the law told them how to do that. That's the law that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai. It told them how to live in a way that was different. Because they were set apart for God, they needed to live like it. And it covered every aspect of life, from how to treat their neighbours to how to plant their crops and everything in between. And as they lived the holiness of being God's holy people, God promised them the blessing of being his holy people. And so, as I said, Haggai asks the priests a question about what the law says about holiness and defilement. And basically, the question is, how contagious is holiness and defilement. Let me read from verse 13, sorry, verse 11 down to 13. Verse 11, chapter 2, verse 11. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Ask the priests what the law says. If someone carries consecrated meat, that is holy meat, in the fold of their garment, and that fold touches some bread or stew, some wine, olive oil or other food, does it become consecrated? does it become holy? The priests answered, no. Then Haggai said, if a person defiled by contact with a dead body touches one of these things, does it become defiled? Yes, the priests replied, it becomes defiled. How contagious is holiness and defilement? That might seem like an unusual question for us. But for these guys, for the priests, it was a very simple question, a very uncontroversial question about what the law says. And as you can see, they were able to answer it very easily. Holiness, they said, is not very contagious, but defilement is very contagious. And perhaps to kind of get our heads around this idea and to understand it a bit better, we can make a a comparison with coronavirus and how contagious that is. Now, please don't take this as medical advice. I'm sure, I'm sure, though, you'll know the answer straight away, like these guys knew the answer. So if I get some hand sanitizer and I put it on my hands and so my hands are disinfected and then I go around and touch things, I touch the chairs and maybe I touch you, do those things become disinfected? What's the answer? No. We know that, right? It would make it very easy to clean up after church, wouldn't it, if that was the case? Very easy to cure coronavirus if you could just touch things like that. No, of course not. On the other hand, if someone who has coronavirus coughs into their hand, maybe because they haven't been doing the elbow coughing properly, and then they go around and touch other things and and maybe they touch you, could that then contaminate them with the virus? Yeah, of course, we know that, right? Now, I've used that as an illustration because that's basically what God is doing with this question about the law. He's using an illustration to help them to understand their own defilement. And this takes us to the next point, because there is actual main point that he's trying to make there is in verse 14, that defiled people make defiled offerings. Your defilement is contagious, is what he's saying to them. Let me read from verse 14. Then Haggai said, So it is with this people and this nation, whatever they do and whatever they offer there is defiled. Your defilement, he's saying, is being transmitted to your offerings, to the sacrifices that you are making. He's talking about the sacrifices they're making on the altar. Remember, they haven't built the temple, but apparently they had built an altar to make sacrifices on because it seems they thought that if they offered some sacrifices on an altar, God would accept those as holy. And so he would see them perhaps as holy and he would bless them as his holy people. But God says, no, The reverse is happening. This nation and this land is defiled. And so the things that you bring with your hands to the altar, that's defiled too. You're defiling your own sacrifices. See, Israel were like the fine dinner set that had been set apart for God, especially for him, consecrated to him, but it wasn't being used in the way that it was supposed to. It wasn't clean the way that it was supposed to. So it was no longer fit for purpose. They were worshipping other gods. They were not treating their neighbours as God told them to. And that had defiled them. And that was the reason that God had expelled them from the land 70 years earlier. And that was the reason that he had allowed his temple to be destroyed from there. Because he didn't want his name to be in that place where people were behaving like that. But now he's brought them back to the land. And they're back and they're offering sacrifices... But God says, your defilement is contaminating your offerings. It's contaminating the work of your hands. And so the, the, the meat that you bring to the altar, it's like you're offering rotten meat to God. That's not pleasing to him. Those sacrifices are not making you holy and you are clearly not receiving God's blessing. And that's what he says. Have a look in verse 16 at how not blessed they are. Verse 16. When anyone came to a heap of 20 measures, there were only 10. When anyone went to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were only 20. They are not prospering the way that they want to be. And we heard about this, right, two weeks ago in chapter 1, if you were here. God is causing them to not prosper. The land is not producing for them the way that they want it to be. And these are the covenant curses that God promised that he would bring upon them if they abandoned him, which they had done. And it was meant to wake them up and realise that they need to turn back to God. And now, if you remember at the end of chapter 1, they have done this. They have turned back to him. And notice the change that begins in verse 15. From this day on, things are going to be different. Previously, your crops had failed... But from now on, I will bless you, he says. And you see what it is that has made the change? He mentions it in verse 15, and he mentions it again in verse 18. They've started to rebuild the temple. After years in exile, after defiling themselves with idols and immorality and oppression, God has now welcomed them back, but he won't have them back in half measure. That's why rebuilding the temple mattered. It was the sign that they were returning to the Lord. It was the thing that marked them as God's holy people. It's like God was saying to them previously, do you actually want to be my people or not? Until then, they were busy getting on with their own lives, doing their own things, building their own houses. And they thought, well, if we just make some offerings to God along the way, he'll be happy with that. He'll be pleased that we're giving him something He'll receive these as holy offerings and he'll bless us. But God says, no, you're still defiled. And defiled people make defiled sacrifices. See, God won't accept sacrifices from people who want to be their own masters, but keep God on a retainer. You know, we want to please him or appease him, perhaps, with some good works every now and then, but still have a heart, that doesn't love God or seek God. And I think this actually speaks to one of the most common presumptions that people in the world have about God, that God should be happy with the good things that I do, even when my heart is turned from him. I'm gonna get on with my own life, doing my own thing, being my own boss, but God should be happy that I didn't cheat on my taxes or that I gave some money to charity. That should earn me some favour in God's good books, shouldn't it? God says, no. Anything that is offered to me must be holy. It must be pure. Pure water can't come from a polluted well. And there is a dead animal in your water tank, God says. There's a problem with your heart that defiles the work of your hands. Everything you do is contaminated by that, even the good things. And this is speaking to every person on the planet. This is what God says to every person on the planet, that the impurity of our heart and our hearts that are not dedicated to God corrupts even the good things that we do. And, of course, this speaks to motives, that we can't separate our our good motives from our bad ones, and so the good things that we do, the 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 bad motives are kind of mixed in with the good ones. But more than that, it speaks to the fact that God cares about our whole self, us as a person, not just the few little things that we do. He cares about our relationship with him. And as I said, I think this is the thing that, that people often fail to appreciate, that is how offensive it is to presume that God should be happy or pleased when we throw him a few scraps of good works, when our heart is turned from him. What we need is to be made holy. We need to be washed clean from the inside and have our hearts purified. And no amount of good works, no amount of sacrifices to God will do that for us. Except one sacrifice. And Hebrews chapter 10 tells us what that is. He says, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ. Jesus was the perfect sacrifice, uncontaminated, undefiled. He cleanses us from the heart. He makes us holy. So that when we, when we turn to Jesus in repentance and faith, God puts His Spirit in us and He washes us clean and and this is the only way that we can be holy before God. And with that holiness comes blessing. Like my mate Robert from down the road, we can't get God's blessing with holy water any more than the Israelites could get God's blessing by the sacrifices that they offered. But for people who are holy, who've been made holy through Jesus... We do have God's blessing. For the Israelites, that blessing was was good crops and prosperity from the land. But for us, it is so much better. As I said a couple of weeks ago, our blessing now is God's Holy Spirit and knowing that he is with us and for us no matter what. I mean, how good is that? And more than that, in the future, it's the blessing of eternal life and, and living face to face with God and all the good things that come from that. We can have that. We can know that. Now, as I said, I spoke about this a couple of weeks ago, but I wanted just to finish with one final observation that I think is really quite remarkable and often overlooked. And that is that because we are holy, we can please God by the good things that we do. God's holy people can offer sacrifices that please Him. And we should. And let me me read a, a bunch of verses that speak to this. And for those who have been washed clean by Jesus, what we do please God. Firstly, 1 Peter chapter 2, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. Romans chapter 12, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Or again in Hebrews 13, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess His name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others... For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. And and there are plenty more examples, but do you see that? That if we have received God's mercy, if we've been washed clean, if we've been made God's holy people, then we can offer sacrifices that please him. As we do good and share with others, as we openly speak about him with others, as we offer our whole lives, our time, our money, our priorities, our plans, our ambitions, as a living sacrifice to God. This is the worship that God wants from us. This is the worship that God delights in. It's a pleasing sacrifice to Him. Not to earn His favour. Let's be clear on that. Not to earn His favour or to receive His blessing. We already have that. But just to put a smile on His face. It makes me think of a kid you know, who's, who's really eager to do the, the things that their parents like, not because they want to earn their parents' love or because they're insecure, but because they love to see the smile on Dad's face or on Mum's face. And it reminds me of, of when my kids were younger and, and they'd have a go at making their bed, you know, because they knew that it was something that, that, that we liked. And you'd have a look at it, and it was not perfect by any means. It was kind of lumpy and a bit crooked. But they did it with such earnestness and sincerity. And look at what I've done. I did this for you. It brings joy to the the parent and the child. And, And similarly, if we've been washed clean by the blood of Jesus, we've been made God's holy people, we've been adopted into his family, he is our heavenly father, we're in a position now where we can... Please, God, we can put a smile on His face by the good things that we do. And I wonder if this is a motivation to good works that maybe we don't think about all that often. That is, it makes God smile. It delights Him. So, if you're in a situation where you are feeling the cost of following Jesus, yeah, because sacrifice is costly, right? It's, it's, it's the, that's in the, in the name. It's a sacrifice, You're openly speaking about him and receiving negative reactions. You're doing good for others at cost to yourself. You're serving sacrificially and feeling the burden of it. You're changing your priorities to be like God's priorities rather than what you want. And sometimes you might find yourself thinking, what was the benefit of that? Why did I bother? Here's an answer for you. Because it pleased God. It put a smile on your father's face and he said, look, my child is behaving like their dad and it brings him great joy. And it can bring us joy too, to know that we can please God and that he smiles down on our sometimes fumbling but sincere efforts to live like our father as we offer our whole lives in sacrifice of worship to him. That's what we get to do, because we are God's holy people. Let's pray that we will. Heavenly Father, we know that all our works are filthy rags and can bring no merit before you. That we cannot earn our favour because of what we do. But Father, we do know that because of Jesus... We have been made your holy people. And so, Father, we ask that you will help us to draw near to him in faith and to live out the life of faith as a result. Help us to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you, and to know that in these things you delight. And we pray these things in and through the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.